When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian and Oregon Live, dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Jim Ryan. And together we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today, Jamie, we have a bit of a lesson in store for you, me, and all the folks tuning in. But before we get to that, let me ask you this. What do you know about the geological makeup of the Pacific Northwest and kind of how some of its signature features came to be? You know, I I feel like I have a general knowledge to like slightly more than general knowledge, just based on like my job and what I've had Mm -hmm. to research before. But I mean, I like rocks. <laughs> I also like <laughs> I rocks. Like, Rock climber here. <laughs> um, you know, I love seeing the different kinds of rocks coming out of the, of the ocean or in mountains um, or in, you know, rivers or just the makeup of these, you know, the desert and all these cool places. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it, it, it's a totally fascinating subject that I like to f- learn information about, but that I have not. Like, I don't have a degree in it or anything mm-hmm. like that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Slightly above casual uh, knowledge. I think that's a good way to put it. <laughs> right. I, I would I would bump myself down on that list, uh, you know, on that spectrum quite a bit from expert to novice. I would say I'm average at best. But luckily, we have with us today on the show two experts on Pacific Northwest geology who are going to fill us in a little bit. Leslie McClock and Jacob Sealander. How are you folks doing? Doing really well today. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, doing great. Good to chat with you guys. Thanks for being on the show here with us. And you folks literally wrote the book on Northwest Geology, the recently published Rocks, Minerals, and Geology of the Pacific Northwest. And we'll get to some specifics about your new book here in a bit. But first, can you folks uh, introduce yourselves and the work uh, that you do kind of day to day? Sure. So uh, I'm Leslie, and Currently, I'm a stay-at-home mom to a young toddler, but in a previous life, I have two degrees in geology. Uh, Actually, that's how Jacob and I met. We were in graduate school together down in California uh, before we both came back up to the Northwest. Jacob is from the Northwest, but I uh, was a happy transplant. And um, I worked at the Rice Northwest Museum of Rocks and Minerals as a curator for uh, about five years before uh, life sort of took me in other directions. But I've spent a lot of time um, 
doing geology both in a formal capacity, sort of an academic capacity, and then also working with collections in the public and interpreting geology and rocks for the public. Very nice. And Jacob? Yeah, so I'm, I'm Jacob. And uh, as Leslie mentioned, um, I actually I grew up in the greater Portland area. And um, kind of as a when when I was out of high school, wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do. And I was taking classes at Portland Community College at the time. And a friend suggested that, hey, you like outdoorsy things, you should take a geology class. So I took a geology class. And then and I it took was another, all over. And then I took another geology class. <laughs> and then I took another geology class. <laughs> and then bounced around the country um, between Oregon, North Carolina, and California for undergraduate and graduate school. Um, and like, like Leslie mentioned, uh, we, we met while we were both at grad school at UC Davis. And then happily, I've ended up back in the Northwest. And now I, I teach geology at Highline College, just south of Seattle. Awesome. I, I love what you said about just kind of falling in love with, mm-hmm. with geology. And your your book references early on that one of the great joys of studying geology is learning how to uncover the why of the natural landscape around you. So in other words, how did this landscape come to be? So can you let us in on what captivates you about geology and what it tells us about the world around us? Absolutely. Uh, I'm originally from the East Coast. I grew up in Pennsylvania and um took my first geology course in college, just like Jacob. And I um, was interested in it from a very uh, sort of cerebral and academic perspective. It was a lot of really cool ideas about a subject that I'd never really learned or heard anything about before. And, and it was really cool to study all these diagrams in my book and um, just kind of learn things about how our world kind of came to be. And then uh, the summer before my senior year in college, I with my boyfriend at the time, now husband, went on a great West Coast road trip and mm-hmm. uh, had my first visit to Oregon and Washington. And I was absolutely blown away. I couldn't believe the things that I was driving by, hiking by, seeing, because they were the things in my textbook from back east, but they were real and they were alive. And um the difference between the two is that the East Coast um, of the United States is what's called a passive margin. It means that uh, in terms of plate tectonics or sort of how the Earth's crust shifts around, nothing really has been going on there for about 200 million years. So it's just sort of quietly eroding away and um, has its own beauty, certainly, but is very different than the West Coast, which is what's called an active margin, where tectonics are still shaping the things around us. And uh, that's what's responsible for the incredible variety and dynamic nature of the landscapes and the different microclimates we all have. Um, And so it was really incredible to go from a position of sort of theoretically studying these things to seeing it Mm -hmm. uh, play out all around. And that was a big reason why I decided to relocate to the Northwest. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> for sure and and never looked back so yeah to get to specifics a little bit here jacob leslie kind of slowly uh waded into this little bit and this is a huge mm. question so forgive me <laughs> but uh, can you give us a little geological primer on oregon and the pacific northwest kind of what forces uh have shaped and continue to shape this landscape here well, we can kind of sum all that up with a long story of 
collision. Hmm. So at, as Leslie was, was mentioning, um, the, the East Coast of, the, of North America and the West Coast are incredibly different geologically. Um, so the East Coast has been fairly quiet geologically for the past 200 million years, while the West Coast has been um, one event after another, after another, after another for, for that same amount of time. And what's been going on in the Pacific Northwest is that the, the, the main bits of the Earth's crust, we have the, the North American plate, which is um, pretty much all of the U.S., Canada, Alaska, Mexico, Central America, all pretty much lies on one rigid piece of the Earth's crust. Uh, but the western part of North America has been growing for the last 200 million years. And it's done that via different uh, plates that are to our west colliding with North America and adding material onto the side. I did this with a class last semester. Uh, but if you can imagine taking like a, a book and then like 10 different jars of Play-Doh and then taking the Play-Doh and I like kind of laying them out into little blocks and then successively smashing them onto the side of that book. <laughs> so, so the, the, the book ends up growing um, by basically the, this smashing or addition or in geologic terms, we call it accretion of material onto the side. So, so Oregon and Washington have grown by that process of accretion with different, what we call terrains or, or basically uh, rocks that formed somewhere else and were added onto North America. And while all that's going on, there's, of course, the volcanism that the Pacific Northwest mm -hmm. is also pretty famous for. So you're also getting the different volcanic arcs that are uh, forming, like the, the ones that we can observe today, the Cascades. Uh, the, the Cascades, as we see them now, uh, you think of the, the high peaks like Mount Hood, Mount Rainier, the Three Sisters, and so on. Um, those are all pretty young geologically. But the Cascades themselves have a much longer history. There's a whole different series of volcanoes that existed around 40 million years ago that were actually to the west of the modern Cascades. And then uh, different dynamics with the collision between the oceanic plate to the west and North America has caused the actual um, location of those volcanoes to change over time. So I, I guess to, to get back to your really intense question of <laughs> why Oregon and why Washington. <laughs> um, just a, a long history of collision adding on to North America. And then on top of that, you get a bunch of volcanoes. And that's kind of a, the, a really brief history of, of the region. And it's, it's important to point out too, that you know, exactly what Jacob said at the beginning, the idea that the East coast was kind of quieting down 200 million years ago just as the West Coast was starting to get exciting, Oregon and Washington didn't exist at all 200 million years ago. The, the West Coast of North America, the, co the shoreline, uh, started at about Idaho and Nevada. Um, and the process of the development of the Northwest literally started with the accretion and sort of creation of the crust by putting things together in that Plato metaphor Jacob used. So it's literally a story of story from the beginning of how did this land even get here um, out of the ocean. It's such a fascinating history. And to think about what this area where we're sitting right now looked like that long ago. Um, but, you know, I, I it seems like those volcanoes are really what 
it draws the attention, I think, of a lot of people who are more casually interested in this geologic history. I know for myself, that's kind of been the entry point for me, you know, being a kid mm-hmm. going up to mm-hmm. Mount St. Helens, um, you know, wondering about like Mount Hood and, you know, hey, what's up with the bulge on the side of Mount Hood? Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing all of these different volcanic landscapes uh, really across pretty much the entire state. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it seems like, you know, for a lot of folks who are just dipping their toes into this, the volcanoes can be, you know, a nice entry point. But I'm curious from, from you all, I mean, what tips do you have for people who want to get interested in this? Maybe they don't know anything about this history. I mean, how do you dip your toes into Pacific Northwest geological history? Yeah, I, I think with exactly what you mentioned there, Jamie, just like the, the big features that you can see, like kind of how like. You, people think of Pacific Northwest they're like, oh, that's that's the spot with like the giant evergreen trees and really big volcanoes on top of mm-hmm. everything. Um, I think that the best part to start is just to ask the, well, why volcanoes? And then you can just start with some really, really kind of big picture observations about those volcanoes. It's like, oh, yeah, there's these big volcanoes. They're kind of spread out a little bit, but they're all pretty much in a line that's almost perfectly north-south. And then that question gets into the, well, why these volcanoes? And why are they oriented in this almost perfectly north-south line? And then from there, that that can get you into the the full geologic setting of of the Pacific Northwest with just kind of answering those first-order questions just based off of, hey, look, there's a volcano. There's another volcano. There's a third. Why? And you can also start from the other end. So this is actually getting into um, why Jacob and I um, were good co-authors for this book. We um, studied uh, complementary but different areas of geology. And I looked mostly at very small things and Jacob looked mostly at very big things. (laughs) So (laughs) you can also start, you know, I'm sure everyone, you know, you go out on a walk, you go out on a hike. And you pick up a cool rock, right? And you look at it and you're like, wow, I, this, this is a neat rock. It's got a neat shape. It's got a neat color. It feels kind of cool. There's something about this rock that I like. You know, maybe it's got a stripe in it. And you're like, wow, you know, I wonder why this rock has a stripe. Um, and learning to identify and name the things you see, whether they are rocks or volcanoes or certain features in a river or mineral crystals, or sort of anything in between, Learn, learning how to understand what those are and what they're called, and learning how to name the objects in the landscape around you, will start to give you the vocabulary to see things in a way you might not have before. You know, so, so part of the purpose of this book is to give you the skills to identify features in the landscape around you, and then it also tells you why those features are interesting or important. So not only can you figure out how to name this rock, but then you figure out why it's a cool rock, besides your personal Mm -hmm. enjoyment of it, of course. Mm -hmm. So that kind of is almost a perfect segue to kind of where I wanted to go next. So you're out in nature and uh, you're on a hike through the woods uh, near Mount Hood. Let's say you go up to a sweeping viewpoint and you look up at the mountain and your kind of uh, natural question might be, you know, wow, I can tell some remarkable geological forces created this landscape, but I don't know what, and I don't know why. Mm -hmm. Maybe how does your book help answer those questions? And what tips would you give to folks who 
are kind of seeking answers to those questions, whether small, you know, why does this rock have a stripe or large? uh, How did this mountain get here? Well, so there are a lot of, a lot of discrete things you can wonder about, like why does this rock have a stripe? And then there are also ways that all of those questions that you just asked um, sort of fit together and inform one another. And so really you can start with any question you're, you're interested in and kind of end up answering all of those other questions along the way. So say you're a person who starts small, you know, you're up at Timberline and you're looking up at uh, the mountain and, you know, it's beautiful and gorgeous. And let's just say, for example, it's summer. So there's not too much snow on the ground and you pick up some rocks from a trail nearby. And uh, the first thing you'll probably notice is that they're kind of grayish Uh, And many of them have some white rectangular spots in them. Um, And if you look in the book and use uh, our charts to help you kind of figure out what this rock might be, you'll learn that it's a kind of rock called andesite, which is unsurprisingly a volcanic rock uh, that forms from eruptions. And andesite is very common in the Northwest, particularly in the Cascades range. Um, And it's a a hallmark of the kind of volcano that Mount Hood is, which is called a a composite volcano that forms when lava is generated underneath a continental plate and rises to the surface um, and erupts. And from there, you can kind of go on to read more things about the volcanic system in general, which is more kind of uh, earlier parts of the book. You can also kind of continue in a different direction. So Mount Hood is made almost entirely of andesite. It's very tall, but it's also got this other stuff on it, these big white things called glaciers. And that uh, the, the andesite built up the shape of the mountain, but the glaciers also had an effect on it. So maybe that's something that you're curious about or notice first. And I'll, I'll turn the glacier part over to Jacob because that's more his thing. Yeah, so so it's kind of a, a really good transition from the type of rock that most of Mount Hood is built out of to kind of the, the forces at work shape actually shaping what is visible today. Um, so andesite is, is one of those lavas that's a, a bit more on the the sticky or the, the thicker end. It's We'd say it has a slightly higher viscosity, so it doesn't flow as well as some of the other lava rocks that we have. And it's because it's a little more viscous that it allows these big cones to build up, which gives us the, the high cascade volcanic peaks. Um, but then, so, so you have the, the main type of rock that the peak's made out of, but of course the peak just doesn't keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's also a whole bunch of forces at work trying to tear that mountain down as soon mm-hmm. as it starts growing. And one of the main forces that is at work on these high peaks is just, just as Leslie mentioned, glaciers. Uh, basically, uh, big sheets of ice that grow in high elevation or high latitude regions. And they do an incredibly huge amount of work at shaping the landscape. They're like, I think one, one of the nicknames that we like to use for glaciers are nature's bulldozer uh, because they're, they're, they're so good at removing material and carving huge pieces of the landscape at a time. So a lot of the kind of topography on Mount hood uh, has been shaped by glaciers in the past, which is why you get these kind of these big spires of ridges and then these big uh, kind of valleys that almost go all the way up to the the summit of Mount Hood. 
So from an identification point of view, you might learn to identify something called a cirque, which is sort of mm-hmm. where the, the seat of where a glacier originates, or you might learn to identify a moraine, um, which is where glaciers, as they move and carve and move things along, they eventually dump the stuff that they're carrying sort of off to the front or off to the side, and that makes something called a moraine. Um, and once you can see those features in the landscape around you, you can sort of see the narrative of how that ice shaped the peak, um, both from the glaciers that are there currently and from glaciers that were there in the past, say, in the ice ages, um, when glaciation was much more extensive in the region. Yeah, for those who um, want a great example of a moraine, Wallawa Lake um, up in uh, the Wallawa Mountains in northeastern Oregon is a great example of a moraine here in uh, the Pacific Northwest. And uh, we are going to talk a little bit more with Leslie and Jacob about the geology of the Pacific Northwest and some spots to go to check it out for yourself. But first, we're going to take a short break. All right, folks, we are back talking with Leslie Moklock and Jacob Sealander, authors of the new book, Rocks, Minerals, and Geology of the Pacific Northwest. So, Leslie, Jacob, we covered a lot of ground in the first part of the show. Um, but, you know, look, we'd be remiss not to ask about what some of the best places to go see if people want to go check out some of these awesome geological features you've been talking about. So maybe, um, could you give us like maybe two or three of your favorite places, uh, maybe some of the most interesting or maybe some spots that are off the beaten path? Sure. I um, am more focused on the rocks and minerals um, side of the equation. Um, So I'm really interested in places that you can find, uh, you know, an unusual kind of rock that you're not necessarily going to stumble across in the everyday. And fortunately, uh, this region has a lot of that. (laughs) Um, So one of the things that I um, am particularly interested in are suites of rocks, which are known as ultramafic rocks. A really cool term, ultra, ultra yeah. music. <laughs> um, and it refers to rocks that have a very high iron content. Um, but what makes them interesting is that they are rocks that formed um, beneath the Earth's crust. So uh, generally, uh, people are familiar with the idea that the Earth has layers. It's got the crust, which is what we live on, what we stand on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got the mantle, which is what most of the middle of the Earth is made of. And then it's got the core. Um which cannot be affected by nuclear explosions. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. I, I love, I love bad geology movies. So uh, the core is a favorite anyway. Um, and the crust is incredibly varied and infinite and diverse, but the vast majority of the earth is actually made up of the mantle, which is stuck under the crust and you, you can't access it. It's, it's so, it's so far down. We've never been able to dig to it, never been able to drill, to drill to it. So um, one of the only ways we know what it's made of and what's down there is in these special places on earth where some of it ends up getting to the surface because of a variety of interesting tectonic place, uh, processes. And uh, the Northwest is one of those places where we're lucky enough to have um, little spots where some of that mysterious mantle material has made its way um, up to the surface of the earth through processes related to those collisions we were talking about earlier. So down in uh, the Klamaths in southwestern Oregon, uh, there are a number of what are called ultramafic complexes. And 
uh, one of the easiest ways to access some of these rocks is actually to go down to the Illinois River and, and the river kind of um, has carved through one of these areas and the cobbles, the, the stones on the side of the river are made of this stuff that came from the mantle. And, and it's uh, a lot of it's very black and, and very orange and you can sort of open it up and see these really cool pitch black rocks. And there are some other places in the area that have, and they're all called uh, a rock called serpentine um, which is named because the rocks are very slippery and slick and they remind people of snakeskin. Um, and they're, they're really sort of like wavy and interesting to see. And you can see these big um, areas along the side of the road down there with this cool green uh, oh. ultramatic serpentine. And also interestingly, just since this is a general outdoors podcast, so soils develop from rocks and minerals uh, weathering and sort of concentrating various nutrients over time. And so uh, the soils in a particular area depend on the rocks that they were made of. And soils that are made from ultramafic rocks are really weird because they have a very high iron and magnesium content, which is not something that is in most soils. And magnesium is actually very poisonous to a lot of plants, except some super weird plants (laughs) like uh, the Darlingtonia pitcher plants, um, which are uh, sort of one of Oregon's state plant treasures. And they are found in areas with these ultramafic magnesium soils. They've adapted to live in these special soil areas. And there are um, there's a Darlingtonia preserve down in the, the Klamath area because of this cool relationship between these rocks and these soils and these plants. So it's just like a weird and funky place to go check out um, to see some unusual rocks and some unusual uh, vegetation as well. Yeah, that Darlingtonia State Natural Site mm-hmm. you can find just off US 101, just north of Florence. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend it. It's a, just a little quick side trip, but it's such a cool little spot. Those weird plants, I love them. Yeah, there, there are some really funky looking plants. <laughs> <laughs> and then there are other places you can find um, the ultramafic stuff. Uh, one of those is the Fidalgo Island area. Um, and actually, I sadly have not been able to get there but i know jacob you have oh yeah so it's uh fidalgo island up near anacortes in the san juans um, actually in the town of anacortes <laughs> um <laughs> but there, there's a the far western northwest tip of uh, fidalgo island is washington park and you can you can park your car and there's a brilliant trail that goes around the, the entire little peninsula and there, there's one spot on the peninsula where there is absolutely no vegetation right down to the water. Like there's grass just about everywhere and trees everywhere. But then there's one spot where there's very little vegetation and you, it's just this rocky outcropping that goes right down into the, into the, the Puget Sound or Salish Sea right there. Um, and that is a, a piece of the upper part of the mantle, this really high uh, iron and magnesium rich rock. And it looks kind of, orangish and yellowish in the the, uh, the outcrop that's present. Um, but you can find spots that have freshly broken away and it's this really dark black to almost dark green color. And that is a typical of the type of material found in the antle. And then, so you're, you're getting an opportunity to touch the inside mm-hmm. of the earth in a place that people have never been and will never be able to go. Yeah, you can li- literally walk up to it and put your face on rocks that formed uh, anywhere from 20 to 30 kilometers deep in the earth. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. Very unique. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and, and, th- and then to think about the processes that brought it up to the surface, you're like, oh, that's that's 
that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that is a lot. Uh, not just your everyday trip to the park there, uh, but it can be, I guess, which is the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've heard uh, Leslie has one that basically pretty pretty hard to top. But Jacob, uh, any <laughs> any suggestions, geological wonders that uh, you might uh, say to the intrepid traveler? Hey, you got to go check this out. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to your to your to your crowd in Portland here, or anybody who's traveling through Portland or has ever driven along Interstate 84 or 205 through Portland. Um, Rocky Butte, just south of the airport, kind of right on that that west side of the 84 205 mm-hmm. interchange, has a pretty interesting story. So and it, it's great because you can drive right to the top of this thing, and it's a great viewpoint over the east side of Portland and looking into the the Columbia River Gorge. But Rocky Butte itself is a cinder cone. So it's a, it's a small volcano that mm-hmm. is part of the, the larger, you're, you're going to love this name, but the boring volcanic field. <laughs> <laughs> Not because it's boring, it's named after the town. And so it, it's part of this, this huge amount of, of cinder cones and other volcanoes that kind of dot the entire Portland metropolitan area. But why Rocky Butte is so interesting is that most Cinder cones are pretty symmetrical. You can imagine um, the, the way they form is you have this this lava. It's ba- basically erupting as a, as a fire fountain. Um, th- think of the, the recent eruptions in Hawaii or Iceland where they kind of over time the, the lava just built up this cone shape around where it was erupting from. Uh, so cinder cones start out very symmetrical, uh, but Rocky Butte has a really, really steep eastern side kind of as you're driving along the highway you look over like oh that's that's really steep right there and those houses on top have a great view uh but the western side is at a much smaller slope and the reason for that gets to one of the probably the most interesting parts of pacific northwest geology and that's the missoula floods Mm -hmm. Uh, so so that term gets thrown out around a lot but basically these are a series of I, I think the best word to describe them is gargantuan glacial outburst floods. <laughs> that oh, that's too ori- Yeah, they, they originated from Montana. So d- dur- during the last ice age, uh, large portions of the Northwest were covered with uh, big parts of, a, of an ice sheet. Uh, and this ice sheet grew south from Canada into northern Washington and northern Idaho and northern Montana by these little fingers. So you can imagine these, these lobes of ice growing south. And one of these lobes in Montana dammed the Clark Fork River, uh, which created this giant lake uh, where basically that, that would have inundated present-day Missoula uh, with a, a few hundred feet of water. Uh, and every so often, by processes that are still debated, because this is such a crazy event, uh, the ice dam broke and basically sent a, a, over 2,000 cubic kilometers of water was released uh, during these floods in a matter of just a couple days. So that this huge volume of water traveled uh, west through Montana, across Idaho, ended up scouring out a huge portion of eastern Washington, and then all flowed out through the Columbia River Gorge on its way to the Pacific Ocean. And Rocky Butte happened to be sitting right at the mouth of the gorge. So if you're standing on top of Rocky Butte, uh, looking into the Columbia Gorge, if you can imagine a, a wall of water a couple hundred feet high or more heading towards you at about the speed of cars driving along Interstate 84, 
all that water slams into Rocky Butte and erodes away its eastern side, creating that steep face. And then a bunch of material got deposited on the west side of Rocky Butte. So I think that's, if I remember my, my Portland geography right, that's Alameda Ridge. Mm-hmm. Um, all that material was deposited by these floods. Uh, so kind of a, a, a really small analogy you could do is just f- find a stream, like a little stream that's flowing, and take a, a small pebble and put it in the stream. And you notice the water kind of flows around that pebble, and like maybe a little sandbar starts developing on the downstream side of that little rock. Mm-hmm. But now scale that up so that the pebble is now Rocky Butte, <laughs> and that little sandbar is Alameda Ridge. <laughs> I think one, one of the cool things about Pacific Northwest geology is just like the, the, the incredibly huge catastrophic events that took place that really haven't happened anywhere else in the world. <laughs> and then the, the top of Rocky Butte is a great place to really see uh, some of the end results of these Missoula floods. Man, I, I love the the different stories that can come out of just one location here um, and just all of the fascinating history behind it. You know, we could sit here all day, I think, and talk about different spots in the Northwest and the fascinating geology behind it. But folks who want to know a little bit more, I think, are going to have to go ahead and buy this book, Rocks, Minerals, and Geology of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Leslie, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on and um, educating us all a little bit more about the geological history of this place that we love. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Man, Jamie, I feel like we could have broken out there and maybe still could in the future, but like many other episodes to talk about. I mean, the Missoula floods on its own could have, we we could have gone down Mm -hmm. that for who knows how long I learned a bunch. I'm sure you did as well here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Jim, you know, I, I, I love hearing about the geological history of this area. And that's part of what I look for when I go out and travel around the Northwest is what are some of these really interesting geological sites. So um, I know one area that I really like that we didn't talk a whole lot about is uh, Eastern Oregon, which has just a ton of really cool volcanic features from, you know, some of the underground caves like Skylight Cave. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Glass Buttes, which is an obsidian deposit out there in Central Oregon. Uh, Diamond Craters way out in Southeast Oregon. It's another really cool spot for some volcanic stuff. And I love the uh, big obsidian flow at uh, the Newberry Volcano just south of Bend. Really cool spot up there. Um, and of course, hey, we've got to mention Crater Lake, one of the coolest geological formations in the state. Man, like I said, we could have uh, dived into any number of those <laughs> and done a, a humongous, uh, you know, long podcast episode about it. Um, but Jamie, I I think I got just enough, just a taste, and uh, very much piqued my interest. So uh, many thanks again to Leslie and Jacob for coming on the show. And folks, until next week, you can watch our videos on the Oregonians YouTube channel, follow us on Instagram at Peak Northwest, and view all of our travel and outdoors coverage on OregonLive.com slash travel. Please leave us a rating or review if you enjoy the show. And if you want to support this podcast and our local journalism, please consider a subscription to Oregon Live. You can find details, of course, at OregonLive.com slash pod support. This episode of the show is produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale and Elliot Noose. Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen. <laughs>